Let's prepare our hearts in prayer. Listen to the Father's words as if they were being spoken to you from Him. Relax in my healing, holy presence. Be still while I transform your heart and mind. Let go of cares and worries so that you can receive my peace. Cease striving and know that I am God. Father, we thank you that you give us peace, not as the world gives it to us, but God, it transcends our comprehension. Father, this morning I sense that many of us need your peace. We are striving and struggling, and God, our hearts are not settled. And Father God, we would want your words to wash over us and to remind us again of who you are. Peace be still, and you have calmed waters. Even as we read the scripture this morning, as the call to worship, as the mountains can fall into the sea and the oceans can roar around us, and yet, God, you can calm all of that in an instant, because, God, no matter what circumstances we are faced with, you are constant. Your character is the same yesterday, today, and for eternity. God, forgive us when we become frail and we forget who you are. Isaiah reminded us, do you not know? Have you not heard? Hasn't it been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Father God, you command the stars and you call them out and not one single one is missing. And yet, God, we say, where are you and who are we? And God, you have forgotten us. And that is so far from the truth. God, we are like grasshoppers compared to your infinite power and glory and majesty. And how dare we think that you have forgotten us? You have not. You have loved us with an everlasting love. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. 
but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Father God, we thank you for your promises in your word. They encourage us, God, when we are weak. Father God, may we turn from our own place of inferiority and less thanness and and thanking God that we cannot be sustained any longer and look to you and your mighty strength and your glory and your majesty. Your promises will never fail. Remind us again today of who you are. God, we thank you for your word. It nourishes us, it encourages us, and it reminds us to be faithful. May we renew that place again today, God. We are your children of promise and of hope. Sustain us, and may we believe the word that has been sown into our heart and the words that we read on the pages of the Bible. May we believe it, God. May we be people of hope and faith and belief. Thank you, Father. Amen. I almost shouted out amen in the middle of that prayer, but I didn't want to frighten anybody. That was strong. Did you get it? Who God is. I was like, they think that was strong. Thank you very much. Let me ask you for a moment of the congregation. Is this, make this series we're doing making sense? Every week we get on our church bus and we stop at a church, try to find out what the church is like, what the city is like, and say out of that we need to learn how we are much more the church, to be the church of God in the place where we are. Is that making sense to you? Good. Okay. Because that's what I prepared. Can I tell you that you're a congregation that listens well? You listen thoughtfully? You, I sense, as I talk to people individually, there's things that you really are processing well about what we do. And this morning's study is, is not an easy one. So you got to kind of stay with me. But you can do that. I want to thank you for your attentive spirit um, Sunday by Sunday. I really do. So listen well this morning. Some years ago in a book, I I, um, I could actually take you to the, the page where it is because I know it so well. There was a phrase that just stopped me in my tracks. That doesn't happen a lot, but this one did. The phrase said, Christianity does not have a moral base. You got that? Christianity does not have a moral base. I underline that to the next explanation mark in the margin. That's how I know I can find it again. Because it means to us that every path that we walk on, every brick in that path, every inch of that path, is labeled by the single word, grace. Every step we take, we are standing on God's grace. You need to know that. The entire foundation of authentic Christianity is built on grace. This morning, um, it's a little too late in the week, but I, I thought of having a sign printed, just a piece of paper, 
that simply one big word on it. The word was grace. And then somehow been able to get in between the services and put that under every seat. Print about 300 of them and then put that under every seat. So that when you sat down or when you stood up this morning, you were standing on grace. That's why Willis Leathers this morning and what he did, the songs, and just finished up with uh, the chorus we know, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sounds, the Savior Rich like Me. We need to live in that truth. But we don't know. And there was a church in the New Testament that forgot that. It was Galatia. So get on the church bus with me this morning, and if you've got a Bible, please open it. Here's one of ours. Get your iPad all warmed up. And, um, and turn to Grace. Sorry, turn to Galatians. I knew it began with a G. Turn to Galatians. <coughs> The Apostle Paul begins verse 3, chapter 1. This is the normal greeting. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God and our Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so we stand on grace. We sung that this morning. We believe that. We want to hold on to that. But can I tell you, on either side of this path of grace, there is a slippery seductive slope that can unwillingly lead us away from grace. And it goes in two different directions. The first one we want to look at is on one side of grace is the valley, the slippery slope of what we'll call legalism. Now, in case you don't know, legalism is where we begin to find our own faith in terms of our rules. This is what I believe I should do. This is what I believe I should, uh, how I should behave. Legalism is where we define our faith in terms of externals. And then what we do, because we often like to control other people, what we do is we then try to impose what we think we should do, we impose it on them. Got it? For instance, for most of my Sundays and so on, um, I wear a shirt and a tie. So here's the new rule. I think all the men should wear ties too because I wear one. And pastors should. Johnny. What will I do with you? Didn't you get the memo that we're supposed to wear ties? Alfred, oh, you're okay. You're wearing a tie. Okay? I forgot your name. I'm sorry. You're not. You're, you're not. And 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 you're not. All the way down the road. See, that's legalism. Jeff. You should go home and get changed. Go get a tie. You know. That's legalism. Now you laugh. But you know, we play those kinds of games in each other. How, how I think I want to live my Christian life, we then say, boy, this works for me. This is really good. Well, if it's good for me, it's got to be good for you. And we judge the faith of others by these external standards. And legalism deals only folks with the externals. What people do and look like on the outside. The Pharisees, with whom Jesus tangled very regularly, the Pharisees were the religious police. They were experts at that kind of stuff. That's legalism. And I will tell you, legalism is unadulterated ugliness in churches. It is ugly. To be honest, some people actually need some rules to help guide their faith because their internal personal disciplines are so weak and impoverished that if you took the structures away, they might not know how to behave. And so the pain that Paul feels for this church is that these Christians have slipped off the path of grace 
and they have fallen into the trap of legalism. Verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who calls you by the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. What he means here is that the turning to this gospel is made up of rules and regulations. It's no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are trying to throw you into confusion and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Churches today in cities like Vancouver, Victoria, where I live, that breathe a spirit of legalism, rules and regulations to control people, that brings about a spirit of fear or a spirit of pride. They stifle the life and joy out of grace. That was true in the first century. And you know what? That's true today. So what do we do? Well, we need to learn that the antidote, and this is what you guys track with me, the antidote to legalism is the freedom that we find in grace. The answer is always to get our way back to that narrow path of grace and nothing but grace. Um, will it help me a minute if you can? This, one of the songs that we sung, Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds in me. Got it? When your eyes are on this child, me, you, as it were, your grace shines down. And in the path of grace, we suddenly realize afresh that we give up any attempt at performing for God. And we come with what I call our empty hands. Remember the old hymn? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. The path of grace, folks, means that we give up the pretense, the charade of performing for each other. And we stand in grace at the foot of the cross. But, I'll tell you in a city like this, too few churches are truly grace churches. No matter what the doctrinal statement says, no matter what they say they believe, no matter how well they can sing Amazing Grace and four-part harmony in any language you want, churches that breed guilt will die on a bear of guilt. Churches that breed pride will suffocate on pride. Churches that breed fear will be killed by fear. But churches that generate and stimulate grace will grow in grace. So Paul says, again, Galatians 5, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. In other words, don't be sucked back by these people and back into a gospel of work and, and guilt. Stand firm and don't let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. That's what he writes to the Galatians and to us. But, you know, there seems to be something in human nature that when we find something that is not working very well and we want to back out of it, what human nature seems to do is that it swings the pendulum and we tend to go way back to the extreme on the other side. And so Paul says to this church, it was for freedom you're free, but don't, don't go back to that again. There's something in human nature that when we react to something and say, I don't like that, I don't want to go there, we swing and we end up at the other side of things. Without inner discipline, and here's where you've got to watch me, freedom becomes license. There's a big word for that. Today's new big word. There will be a test afterwards, by the way. That was a joke. You missed it. There will be a test, okay? Here's today's new big word. 
Got it? Antinomianism. Whoa. There's a biggie. And who? Antinomianism. It means that we live against the law. And so we say, I've got the freedom to do this. My freedom says it means I can do anything I want. And you can't judge me. We do whatever we want to live outside the rules. It is really personal anarchy as Christians. Some years ago when Soviet Russia kind of fell apart, it seems that there was very little internal glue in the country other than the external hold that communism had over the country. And so morally, socially, spiritually, um, it was all gone. And to hold the fabric, there was nothing now to hold the fabric of the country together. And into this vacuum that had created when communism left, flooded a whole host of new problems, bigger than ever before. Problems with drugs, problems with prostitution, problems with crime. With crime. And you see, license is when we get our freedom, but we don't understand it. We misuse it, misabuse it, and so it goes to excess. It's where individualism reigns supreme. It's where everything is permissible. And everything we do is labeled our freedom in Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, whom I mentioned to you before, if you don't know him, pick up a couple of his books. Probably the most basic one is called The Cost of Discipleship. Uh, Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor and preached in Germany against um, the Nazi regime and against Hitler, which was not healthy. Bonhoeffer ended up in prison camps. He ended up in a concentration camp. Um, and just a very short time before the camp was liberated, um, Bonhoeffer was hanged. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in one of his books, books called The Cost of Discipleship, he calls this license, this antinomianism, he says, it's cheap grace. He says, it is, cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without requiring repentance. Cheap grace is baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace, he says, is grace without discipleship and grace without the cross. The word of cheap grace, he says, has ruined more Christians than any commandment of works. I grew up in the 50s and 60s in a church, and we had a lot of rules, written and unwritten, in our Baptist church. I lived in a day of license. But that day has gone and over for much of it, thank you. But today it seems to me that in the church in North America, our danger is not legalism. Our danger really is the spirit of license. That Christians think and believe that they can do whatever they want. And they're not accountable to anybody. They're not accountable certainly to the Word and the Spirit of God. That is cheap grace. And so in the 21st century church today, we have left many of the externals of legalism behind. But we must ask ourselves very honestly, have we traded the scaffolding of legalism for the shallowness of license? Have we slipped off the path of costly grace into the quicksand of cheap grace? The result is that the church is anemic and is powerless. If, le- if legalism had the potential of drying the church out, then carelessness and spiritual anarchy as bred by license will blow the church out. So just as there was an antidote to legalism, and remember that was the freedom of grace, got that? The antidote to license are what we will call the demands of grace. So there's, when you get trapped in rules, you need freedom. 
when you're following the path of license, what you really need are the demands of grace. Grace is free, but it is not cheap. God calls us to the disciplines of the Spirit, things like prayer and Bible study, giving and serving, as a place that we can put ourselves before God so that God can change us. Understand the disciplines of the spiritual life, so do the Spirit. We'll come to that in a moment. The disciplines do not change us. Prayer and Bible study and service do not automatically change us. But what they do, folks, is that they bring us before God with a humble and pliable heart and spirit so that God can change us. Galatians 5, Paul's point. You, my brothers, and I add sisters, were called to be free. But he says, do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. You understand, if, if grace gives you freedom, if you push it too far, you start to indulge your sinful nature. First Peter says the same thing. Live as free men and women, but do not use your freedom, in other words, your true liberty in Christ, as a cover-up for evil. Freedom is not an excuse. The freedom of the Spirit is not permission and license to do whatever we want. Grace demands that duty... Grace demands of us what duty would not dare ask. So what must the 21st century church be like as it lives in its Galatia? On the one hand, we have got to leave behind the cold air of legalism. That chokes life out of the church. And then we have to return to the warm, clean wind of grace. But on the other hand, we have to reject the seductive lure of license in the disguise of freedom. That will leave the church weak and undisciplined. So how do we find this narrow path between these two extremes? Is there another way? Yes, there is. Jeremiah says this. The time is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. I will put my law into their minds and write it on other hearts. The demands of grace, get this, go from being externals, wearing ties or whatever we think, to internals. We give up our rules, not for something looser, but for something deeper. It's written in the heart. This deeper way, this narrow path that lies between both license on one hand, legalism on the other, is called in Galatians the path of the Spirit. The antidote to legalism and license lies in walking in the footsteps of the Spirit of God. Guess what Galatians says to us about that? We are told in Galatians to live by the Spirit. Here's what Paul says. Live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit is contrary to the sinful nature. Live by the Spirit. Secondly, we're told in Galatians to be led by the Spirit. 5.18 For if you're led by the Spirit, he says, you're not under law. Hang a lot of times I hear Christians say to me, you know, I've, I felt led by the Spirit to do this and led by the Spirit to do that. I'll be a little careful. Do you know that phrase only occurs twice in the New Testament? Being led by the Spirit? Only occurs two times. In both times, it's, it talks about how the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, will lead us away from thoughts and actions that would be wrong and negative to Christian living. Thirdly, Paul says, we're told to keep in step with the Spirit. You know, keep up. Keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and ending one another. I don't get it anywhere. 
If you ask most Christians what they would like to receive from the Holy Spirit, you know, I think most of us instantly think in terms of, well, what kind of gifts would I like? What do you give me? What, you know, I'd like the gift of prophecy, see into the future. By the way, that's not what prophecy means. Or I'd like the gift of this. I'd like the gift of that. But how many of us would actually say, you know what, when I want to ask the Spirit about my life, how many of us affect a man? How many of us would say, I would like to be more peaceful as a husband with my wife and my children? How many of us would say, I'd like to have more self-control in my life and have some dark impulse in me eradicated? You see, in the realm of the Spirit, gifts are always secondary. Gifts are always secondary. If you read any time, and the next time you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a beautiful chapter, that's what it says. It says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong going a symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy, and if I can fathom all mysteries of all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but I do not have love, love is not a gift, it's fruit of the Spirit, we'll see in a moment. I gain nothing. When we leave behind these twin counterfeits of Christianity, which is license and legalism, we find a narrow path of grace to call, to call us, and we walk in the path of the Spirit. When I ask the Holy Spirit to control my life, that needs to be our prayer. I need to be aware of what I really want my life to look like. In my time here, it comes to the end, this, end of this month, but um, some months ago, um, I, I learned here among you one of those beautiful songs. Um, again, I can't remember the words. I didn't write them down. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, come and fill this heart of mine, life of mine. Come and renew my mind. It's a beautiful piece. So what does it mean to say, Spirit of God, come take over my life? Well, here's what it says. The Spirit of God is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. That's what it is. Let me walk you through these things just very briefly this morning. Can we say, as I walk in the path of grace, I'm asking God to make me more loving. That is the greatest gift. That's the badge of our discipleship. More loving to my spouse, my husband and wife. More, sp- more loving to our children. More loving to one another in the body of Christ. Remember, Jesus says that um, this is how people will know that you're my disciples. You follow me. Love is the kind of the belt that holds all these other Christian graces in place. Some days I need to pray, dear God, I work hard. But I need more love from your spirit. Would you give that to me? We follow the path of the spirit. We are asking for joy. Happiness comes from circumstances. Joy comes from God. Remember, I've described joy to you. Joy is connecting the events of our lives to the greater, further purposes of God. It takes courage to trust God and say, God, what is the secret that lies in this tragedy that I'm facing? And whatever it is, God, I will wait for it and come to it with joy. We ask for peace. Peace is shalom in Hebrew. It means not just we stop a war, 
pieces, the wholeness and the well-being of God. Wouldn't you like that more in your life? The well-being of God. Then there's patience. In the New Testament, there are two different Greek words for, used for patience. And they're always used very, very clearly in different ways. First of all, there's a word for patience in difficult circumstances. It's the ability to hang in. When difficulties come, we don't quit, we don't walk away, we don't run, we say, I will hang in with this all the way to the end. That's one word. There's another word, which is only once used of God in the Timothy Titus letters. It talks about God who is patient. And this is patience with difficult people. Now, think about it for a moment. I think those are two different qualities of personality. Um, having patience with difficult circumstances, you need one set of things in your psyche. But being patient with difficult people, that's a whole different deal. I will tell you very honestly, in my natural life, if God wasn't much in me, um, I have a lot of patience with difficult circumstances most of the time. I don't have, without God's help, I don't have much patience with difficult people. Now, don't have a little context. When Paul talks about the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, two different kinds of words. Patience with difficult circumstances, patience with difficult people. You got it? Here's the test. Here's the question. How many of you, and don't cheat, have this, you're in church, don't cheat. Hands up. Do you think he uses the word, who thinks he uses the word for patience with difficult circumstances? Okay. Who thinks he uses the word, different Greek word that means patience with difficult people? You're the winners. Okay, you are the winners. The word really means having a long fuse. Instead of being a person who's got a really short fuse, and it fires off at the last, the first moment of stuff. So Paul talks about having patience with difficult people. Kindness and goodness. Those are two words that really kind of go together. They remind us, you know, we can know how to do the right thing. But the mark of the Spirit is doing it with the right spirit. And it's faithfulness. It means just integrity in small and large matters. The word gentleness, or sometimes translated meekness. Gentleness here is the Greek word prowess, and that really means... Um, um, power under control. It's, it's the word for a trained horse. So a trained horse is meek. Now, we think it sounds like weak, but that's not what it means. It means in a trained horse that all of its energy and legs and all that kind of stuff are harnessed by the rider. And he will respond, the horse will respond to the commands of the rider. People who are meek are not weak. Far from it. But the power of their lives, the strength they possess, the gifts they have is under control. They do not dominate. They do not use their power to control and manipulate people. Rather, they use the gifts and the strength to serve people. It's under control. It's under God's control. Then Paul says self-control. That means having an area of our lives disciplined. And just like a runner will train and discipline with food and diet and exercise, sleep to train for a race, we need self-control in our lives. Or we end up all over the place. Proverbs says a man who likes self-control is like a city whose walls are broken down. How many times do you find yourself saying, I just gave in. And I couldn't hang on with something. So the more I walk along this narrow path of grace, the more I'm asking the Spirit of God 
to keep me out of legalism, keep me out of license, and to work in me, the more I'll become that kind of person. And Paul concludes that by saying, against these things there is no law. You know what he means by that? He means that you can go as far as you want in love and joy and peace and meekness. You will not need to care about offending someone else. And when you start to think like that, when you start to desire that, then stand in line, says Paul, and get in step with the Spirit. And follow his footsteps and allow him to shape and to fashion you in becoming that kind of person. Because without the Spirit, there is no genuine Christian life. So you see, we're not automatically shaped to be like Jesus. When we simply adhere to external rules and regulations. Appearance does not equal the inner discipline. This path of discipleship, folks, is often narrow. It's easy to stray from one side to the other. It's sometimes hard to find. On either side, there's a deep and dangerous valley. And if we look to anyone else but Jesus, we will lose our way. If we take our eyes off Him, we'll wander. If we look down on our feet, we will fall. If we look behind us, we will stumble. So the path is this narrow path between the world and the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says it is not the broad way. It's a narrow way, and it's the right way, but it's not always easy. What is the church to be like today? On the one hand, it's got to turn away from legalism, because that takes us away from the grace of the cross. That makes Christianity just a bunch of rules, and not a joyful response. I'm not interested in going there, and you're not either. That takes Christians and robs us of the joy and the freedom of the cross. And remember, the antidote to legalism is the freedom of grace. But let's not swing the pendulum too far, because on the other hand, the church of Jesus Christ, if it slips into apathy and laziness and carelessness, and we excuse ourselves on our weakness because we're free in Christ, Paul says, oh no, the antidote to license are the demands of grace. Remember, grace is free, but it is not cheap. And I think you see both of these false caricatures of Christianity in churches today. Some churches, by their background, the structure, the theology, are more prone to legalism. They work by rules. And if you want to be there and be a good member there, man, you better, better step in line. The pastor says you wear a tie, you wear a tie. Other churches, by their background theology, are more prone to spiritual leniency. You can do anything you want. And that's seen as freedom. Avoid both. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. But rather, as Paul says in love, serve one another. The entire commandment is summed up, says Jesus, in a single way. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you what the picture is in that verse. It's a picture of a pack of wild animals fighting and tearing away at one another. Paul says, you do that, you will destroy yourself. If this morning you're not really sure what your gifts are, where God has gifted you, and you feel, you feel lost about your gifts, can I say to you, don't be paralyzed. Just remember, always, gifts are secondary. Being shaped to be like Christ is always primary. 
and you ask God to produce the fruit of the Spirit in you, which is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithful self-control. You know what he says? That can never be wrong. That can never be wrong. And out of that, I really believe that your gifting will come clearer. But you will have done the more important thing. You will have walked in the fruit of the Spirit. So lastly from Galatians, Paul says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. God cannot be mocked. A man or a woman reap what he sows. The one who sows to his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So he says, let's not be weary in well-doing. For at the proper time we will reap the harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. This week, do good to all people. But says Paul, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. That's the people sitting around him. Do good especially to them. That can never be wrong. And it can never be wrong to ask in our lives, Father, would you make me more holy? Would you bring the fruit of the Spirit more and more into my life? Would you help me walk by its fruit? Let's stand together. So, Father God, author of the world, Lord Jesus, the one who gave himself to the church, Holy Spirit, the gift who has given to us. Help us this morning to find this narrow path of grace between license and legalism. Father, help each one of us to imagine that there was a, a piece of paper and that's what we're standing on this morning. And that piece of paper simply says, Grace. Grace. And that's where we put our feet. That's where we place our lives. That's what we stand on. Father, if we've been trapped even up to this moment in legalism, I pray you'd give someone a gift of freedom. And Father, if someone has been taking that freedom and doing the wrong thing with it, I pray that you would talk to them this morning about the demands of grace. We thank you that grace is free, but it is not cheap. It was won and fought for by the blood of our Lord. Amen.